0: Today we have Richard Bressler on today, the first ever American jiu-jitsu student of the Gracie family, documented to be starting jiu-jitsu in the late 1970s. Um, He had a strong relationship with Horion Gracie and led to the investment in the Gracie Academy in the first ever UFC. And so it's going to be a very interesting talk to listen to somebody who's been at the forefront of the jujitsu movement in America when it came in. So enjoy the episode, and I hope you uh, get something out of it. Beautiful.
1: Good morning. Well, for you, it's afternoon.
2: (laughs) Well, it's actually still morning for a few more
1: minutes. (laughs) So, um, Richard, I had the pleasure a couple of years ago at the Lifestyle Summit, and you were so, uh, what's the right word for it, just generous with your time to sit down and kind of um, chat with me and share Uh, your experience with Jiu Jitsu at the time and it was such an interesting story to me having hearing it in person that I just want to take time to ask you about it um, now so (coughs) you were at the forefront of Jiu Jitsu when it came to America um, and having that relationship with Horion. and just my biggest thought was one of our hardest things to do as instructors is get people to step onto the mat um, because of this uh, that like there's this preconception they have what jiu-jitsu is. And so my thought was you stepping into it. What was your initial uh, learning experience about what jiu-jitsu was? Because people have the UFC now as a reference point, but back in the, you know, the eighties, the I don't know what, what that would have been like for you guys.
2: Well, <laughs> when I started, it was 1979. Yeah. And I mean, there wasn't like, I, I told the story earlier this week. And, you know, it's just I happen to have that look like, you know, I mean, I don't really believe that there's chance meetings, but mm. it looked like a chance meeting because I was going nowhere in life. And then I ran into Horian and he wanted this mattress that I had. And uh, and then when he told me about his family, you know, I just said like, well, you know, I mean, one, as I said, I didn't quite know how to take it because... You know, when I thought of like martial arts champions, Mm. usually I thought of Asian, I thought of guys kicking in the air going, ha ha, you know, doing this kind of stuff. So when he told me, you know, and you know, and he invited me for a free class, a private class,
1: yeah.
2: And I'm like, Oh, you know, what do I have to lose? Maybe he might kick my ass, you know. But you know, like I've told many others, I said I used to go in, pay ten dollars and including the first, the first class was free. And basically, because I was in such a negative place, Mm -hmm. it was an outlet for me besides the exercise that I did, because I was, I always exercise after the age of 14, you know, when I lost weight from, you know, and and I started exercising, because I was really a weak, sickly kid, almost like Mm elder crazy. I was just, uh, I started, uh, you know, exercising. And then, this, I could go in, pay this guy $10, and he would teach me to kick his ass. <laughs> and I'm like, this was so much fun here. You know, when i throw him, and i do arm locks on him, and I, you know, and then when we do headlock escapes and I'd make the frame and put, and he would take my, he would take my arm, or my hand, going for an arm lock, and he would take the hand right over here, and he'd push it down to the ground, I'm, he's taking my hand, pushing his face down to the ground so he can't move so I can go for an arm lock. And I'm just like, that's the way. For me, it was like, it, this was so much fun. Yeah. I didn't see it as martial arts. Now, because when if guys walk into your gym, just to walk in and to see it, especially the sparring part, man, it, that's... That's a totally different reality from how it was with me because I was privately trained.
1: Yeah, it, and you know, it's such an overwhelming experience when people see two people rolling because it is just this this convoluted entanglement of bodies going, and it can look aggressive if people aren't taught the right way to roll um, initially. And also interesting that you were talking about like Horion on prompting you through the different techniques because. Uh, that's so, so emphasized in the way that we learn to teach from the Gracie's as he's already doing it in the, in the late seventies. Um, so it wasn't something that they, that they developed late in the piece. It sounds like it was just part of their culture the whole time, which is to like build people up, uh, through jujitsu rather than, you know, uh, like when I learned karate, it was very much about, i want to show you how karate works and then you need to figure out how to do it yourself. Whereas this was almost like leading you the whole way through.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, if you've gone, through, well, obviously you've gone through the ICP. Yeah. yeah. So, and you see the way they direct you. Mm. I mean, especially that there was that one video of him taking the person by the hand. Yeah. Taking them over in here. This is how you show to do it. I mean, like when he would do something, you know, he'd say like, no thumbs, you know, he would hold like this or something. And they'd he'd take your thumb and like this and put his hand on top and go, very good. You know, and I'm like, very good. You did it. <laughs> you know, but but still, you felt like, okay, yeah, I followed your instruction. Mm. So it was so easy. And even still, I do this to this day. You know, it's, there's still, I mean, and I have a kind of a bigger challenge than the regular jujitsu guys, because I'm in a Krav Maga school. Mm. So some of the guys see this, and because Krav Maga is by nature a very aggressive yeah kind of art so when they see it in my class and they come in and they start to you know get really aggressive with their movements and here i'm telling them like guys slow relax you know learn the technique you can always mm-hmm. get aggressive later yeah so yeah. you know i i would think now that because of it's gracie jujitsu and you guys are really talking about self-defense, that guys might it might be a little easier to walk into a school like yours than it is to walk into, you know, anybody out there who's just teaching BJJ.
1: Yeah. And I guess like we talk about like the perception of being something that's difficult for people to to overcome but for yourself training and not having any preconception of what it's meant to look like, besides what you're being led to in the private lessons, what were some right. of the challenges that came up for you while you were learning in that, in that, in that early part of Jiu history?
2: Um, you know, the challenges were for me, I think like most people, the challenges are whatever is inside here that, um, because I was doing drugs when Mm. I first met Horian and I had, you know, and I was abusing for a couple years. Mm. So when you start to use drugs on a regular basis, it changes your brain chemistry.
1: Mm.
2: And I wasn't the happiest person in the world. I wasn't the happiest person until I got stoned, but the drugs Mm. would wear off and you know, then I was back to my miserable self.
1: Yeah, it was like so, a short, short release.
2: Right. And then when you come down, you're kind of in a bad mood. Mm. You're negative. So the moves that he was showing me, I, I was like, you know, if I didn't get it right, it, through his excitement saying, yeah, do it like this, like this, like it, And I was like, oh, God, I can't get this right. Mm. I mean, I suck. I mean, the negative talk that was my that was my biggest detriment me yeah. was the biggest detriment to my learning because i didn't think from past experience one being a poor student in school
1: yeah
2: because i couldn't stand the traditional crap that they're teaching school
1: yeah
2: you know and by the way i at a side note i was just talking to one of my students who's a school teacher and she teaches high school and she said richard she goes online right now. She goes. I have to teach Hamlet. How important is it for high school kids to learn Hamlet? I mean, it's like it was important to me because I remember to be or not to be. You know, that's the that's that's my remember of Hamlet. Message. It's like yeah, maybe it's nice to learn English a little bit, but I never. I was a poor student, yeah. so. And it didn't affect my learning of the things that were essential to me. Mm. But what it did is it left almost a mental scar for years thinking I could not learn
1: because mm. mm. I
2: didn't like to learn what they were teaching in school. So when I I carried it through, when I did Jiu I went like, oh fuck, I'm not mm. gonna be able to learn this stuff. you know. And, and then Horian said, Richard, there's no such thing as a bad student. There's just bad teachers. But he said, I'm the best. So you just come to class, that's your job, come back to class and you'll learn at the rate you're supposed to learn, but you will learn. I'm like, okay. So, so that was my biggest thing for myself.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because we talk about measuring devices, like um, people trying to work out how they're progressing. And most people put their measuring device as the end result, like what the technique looks like in comparison to how the teacher did it. Um, And we talk about that a lot in class, like as being something that people have to overcome. And you're saying that that's the same hurdle that you had all the way back then, is like getting out of your own head and and having this unrealistic or um, even just misguided conception of what the end result is meant to be. Um, And it just puts these barriers in place all the time as you're trying to learn. I guess, do you see this coming up with the students that you teach as well? Um, like this hurdle of just like them not understanding how to measure their own progress.
2: Um, you know, I see it on occasion. I mean, I, I, I hear things. you know, and Horian told me a long time ago, he said, you, he said, I can tell you a lot about the person. Mm. Just give them, let me teach them one or two classes and I'll tell you about the person's personality. Yeah. And, and I, at first I went like, you know, "Eh, I don't think so. But now being a teacher for, gosh, I've been teaching for 28 years. And I see it in people. They mm. go like, oh, my God. Like when you say, when you show them how to do something, and it's a relatively new move. And let's say, you know, when you're doing the grip for the Americana, and you do this, and you catch them. And then I go over and take their thumb, I go like this. And they say things like, oh, I always do that. Mm. I go like you don't always do anything. You just learn this. So, how can you always do something? You just started. Yeah. So, that, but that shows you what's going on in their brain, their own critical ability to learn. Yeah. So, I see it. And people are, you know, like, because I teach very different than most people. Mm. When I teach, because I'm limited in the amount of classes that I get a week. Instead of saying, okay, we're going to learn this on Wednesday and learn this on Thursday because I'm in one center where I teach Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, I I tend to teach the same moves for about three weeks. and Then I'll slowly add things to them. I won't go from one move to say, okay, now we're going to do this. I'm not going to go from punch block to mounted. Yeah. If I do punch block series, I'm going to do punch block for about 2 to 3 weeks and add things to that.
0: Yeah.
2: And the one things and the one thing that people have said about me is that you may not learn a lot of moves with me. Yeah. But the moves that you learn are inside. I mean, you own them because you've been because you've repeated it for so long. You yeah. come out of my classes after a while and you are solid with basics. Yeah. And as people have said, basics win the fight. So yeah, I tend yeah. to repeat a lot, less moves, but repetition of those moves. Yeah,
1: and ingrain it into the person as they as they're learning it that way. Right. One of the things that I've always been interested in is like the like. The, the classic story of you providing the the check for the first uh, you know uh, Gracie academy to kind of get off the ground and get started. And right. You know, it, 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 you have to have some belief in what you're learning and the person who's teaching you to kind of make that happen. And I guess for, for you, like, what was it? What was it that made you feel like I need to support this?
2: Um, on Facebook today, um, there's a little blurb about what Horian said to me years ago. And he was going in because back then it was go in to a martial arts school, usually karate, taekwondo, one of the standing arts, and say you're going to share with the teacher, like, I want to see what you have and you see what I have.
1: Yeah.
2: And Horian would go in and most likely he ended up making an enemy because it's hard for him to go in, see those guys, you know, doing ha, 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 kicking and stuff. Mm. And he says, well, what about if you go to the ground? What about if some guy, you fall down to the ground, some guy mounts on top of you? And the and the teacher, their answer is, that'll never happen to me. Yeah. You know, he says, well, wait a second. It might not happen to you, but what about your students? Mm. You know, so Warren would, you know, the guy would make some kind of stuff and they." would you know, be un- uncomfortable because he didn't know how to answer. And then Horian would say things like, well, you know, I think, you know, that your art isn't that good. And then the guy would get pissed and then Horian would say, you know, I think you're, you're shit and so is your art. Yeah. So, you know, that wasn't conducive to getting the people to be his friend. Yeah. So he came to me and he said, Richard, look, I don't care how big they are. I don't care what they know. He said, you can make the enemy. He says, but I don't need to make the enemy. I'm just going to come in and show the art, but you can say what you want. So when I started bringing, you know, that that gives me a lot of confidence to walk in and find the toughest guys and go, hey, you got any guys that are willing to fight that are really badass, you know, and the teachers would always like they do this and they go. He go, you know what that is? And I'm like, I don't know, two fingers. And he says, No, that's an inch. My guy breaks bricks. You don't want to mess with him. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's the guy that I want. So when I saw this, and, and when I brought guys over that were strikers and other and I saw other people brought people that are strikers and whoring and beating these guys, every single time it was the same result. Yeah. Because we had a secret weapon. Mm -hmm. They didn't know we were going to do. And this went on for a long time until we were into the UFC for a few years. So when he had four garages going and he came to me and said, look, we can't go any further. We can't get recognized teaching in a garage. We have to have a studio. And Mm -hmm. I said, I agree. And then he stood there and, you know, sat there and went like, Richard, and I'm like, and I need money. And I'm like, yeah, you do need money. And he says, Richard, you know, and I'm like, oh, God. So, you know, that's when I just, you know, he said, yeah. And I'm like, wow. And it was scary to me. But that confidence, seeing what I'd already seen over the last 10 years. Yeah. I remember before most people even started thinking about, you know, jiu-jitsu. I mean, I was already involved in it for 10 years. Yeah. So I've seen that result over and over again. We started going to, you know, we went to New Jersey. We went to New York. We went to Las Vegas in the late 80s. And seeing that kind of stuff, you know, it, it was – and also – my own results because i never thought that i could you know go up against any of these guys that had a black belt around their waist and come out ahead of the game
1: so you said this uh this story once where you're a blue belt and you walk into one of the schools and horian goes uh you know do you have anyone who can fight and then he's like richard go fight that guy you know and this is like being being put in that situation and walking out you know, victorious in that situation must have been such a confidence builder, not just mentally, but in the art that you're learning as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like the person's got a black belt around their waist. And you're like, but I'm just a blue belt. But the skill that you had learned you know, in those garages really put you in the forefront of martial arts without even really realizing it in that situation until you made contact with somebody else.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it. it, it does a lot. So it was scary because of the money, because, you know, I came up with 40,000 and then I went to my parents and I went like, got I got it. This doesn't work out. You know, I just borrowed 20,000 from my mom and dad. Yeah. And,
1: uh, but and, and this is in the late eighties as well. So that's like uh that's a lot of money. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then to do the same thing, you know, to put in, you know, 10,000 more into the UFC. Yeah. So, to put money in the UFC when the academy really is not making money.
1: Yeah. There's another chance to take, but it paid off <laughs> because, uh, you know, like the, the academy is, is, you know, the biggest Jiu-Jitsu academy in the world. You know, especially now with the boys moving into Grace University and, and uh, you know, providing. Like you provided an outlet for, for uh, Henna and Huron to progress into who they became now as well. You know, oh,
0: yeah.
1: I mean,
2: it, it didn't pay off whatever I can't hear.
1: Uh, I was just saying, it, um, you know, it paid off huge for them to have an outlet to learn to teach him. You know, like I think that was such a big part of forming their personalities is interacting with so many people and being put in this position of leadership at such a young age. Um, and that happens from the academy being established, you know, and then giving right. them the confidence to go and record everything. Um, so, you know, it's just like, it's, it, I never thought about those little steps that although that come from you providing that kind of uh, ability for them to teach, you know, and that leads to the USC and that leads to, to, you know, Grace University and so forth. Like there's all these things that come after the academy opening um that wouldn't have happened if that leap of faith wasn't kind of like put in place as the audio uh, breaking up
2: yeah well all of a sudden all i heard the last thing i heard you say was put in place and then
1: Uh, sorry and i was yeah i was just saying that you know that's that's just something that that is very interesting to me is that you know um when you put in place the, the funds to get the, the school started, it provided this opportunity for so many other things that came up along the way.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that uh, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't know. I mean, they just see, I mean, like the guys that, even the older guys that come in and start to learn, and when I say older, I mean guys in their 40s. Yeah. You know, not not old suckers like me, but the guys that are in their 40s, that they don't know, They just they just see, jiu-jitsu schools, you know, are all around. Yeah. I mean, you know, there there was no such thing, you know, it was four garages, you know, from it, in the late 80s, you know, Horian had four garages, you know, it had the Machado's and Hickson and in another garage. And I think maybe Foiler, I'm not sure the fourth one, but, you know, he had four garages going with a waiting list. Yeah. So, you know, the Academy was you know, it was primed to start and then, you know, and then the Machado's left because of a, a falling out that Horian had with Chuck Norris, um, you know, but still, and then they went their own way. But this whole thing, you know, it was me meeting Horian and that just, you know, talk to this person and talk to that person and then helping him out here. I mean, I loaned him money got yeah, probably you know less than a year after we met yeah a couple thousand dollars because he wanted to go back to brazil and bring some stuff and and sell it you know because people were crazy to buy like a champion juicer or yeah. you know he'd buy clothes and bring them back there to sell he says yeah you know so I, he did that early on borrowed a couple thousand dollars and when he got back from brazil he didn't have the money to pay me back yeah and i was like Come on, man! And he says, "Don't worry." He said, "Your interest on the money will be free classes," which I got free jujitsu classes for four years. Oh, that's so that paid for, and I got my money back. Yeah. So you know, it there was there was it was it was a good thing. But my experience is so much different, and I'm glad you're doing this just to tell people about. How this whole thing started, how it blossomed yeah. after the UFC.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's so fascinating because like nowadays, jujitsu is everywhere. Like when you walk around, it's on it's on your social media. You walk down the street, there's jujitsu schools. The local karate school has a jujitsu class going on. You know, it's just it's the norm now. Um, and it, it wasn't back to, even like after the first couple of UFCs, you know, it was, it wasn't until like UFC five that people are starting to integrate it into all of their training. So it still took time to, to build this following and for people to start understanding and getting involved in it. Um, and for you to be involved so early in the piece, you know, and like I I still recognize you as like one of the, the unindoctrinated uh, dirty Dozen, like the first twelve uh, black belts to uh, non-Brazilian black belts to get their black belt, um, and you're like you're you're in that forefront of those people,
2: right? And that and that list is not accurate. Mm. Yeah. That list is not. I mean, the way the list is show, you know, because it shows Dave Kama was Hickson's first, and Dave Kama is not Hickson's first. Yeah, Chris Saunders is Hickson's first, and Chris and I got our black belts around the same time. Mm. So. But yet, I don't even think you see Chris on the list, but you see yeah. Dave on the list. Yeah. So, you know, that whole thing with the list and I contacted the guy, you know, and I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't care. Some guy has a list called the Dirty Dozen,
1: yeah. you
2: know, it, you know, the, the thing is, it's changed so much. Jujitsu, Jitsu, as you well know, as yeah. you've been involved for a while, and it's just, it's just exploding with techniques and, mm. and how it's how it's so sportive. Mm. And, you know, it's that's why it's hard for people because you know a lot of times people see oh jiu-jitsu is a nice sport.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Like he, I mean, Horny never said oh yeah we do jujitsu and it's a great sport. He said that oh, we martial arts champions and we and we did these fights. Yeah you know i mean that i I never saw it as sportive i saw there was a sportive aspect of it Mm. but it was always in the forefront when i was learning self-defense
1: it's amazing how they've managed to keep that because so many martial arts uh try and get people in through the guise of self-defense but it's always presented sportively because that's just the natural progression is People learn a skill and then they want to test it against other people, but we need a rule set and so forth. And jujitsu just the way the Gracies have always kept it back to what it was built for, which is the idea of it came in a culture where if I liked your shoes, I'm going to take your shoes from you. So I better be able to defend myself. If somebody's going to want to take my stuff from me Um, and they've kept it there. And it's it's people like yourself. um, And that they keep introducing it to people through that, that first means of, of self-defense why do you think it's so important to keep teaching jiu-jitsu to people like why do you find that jiu-jitsu is something that you want to share with people
2: um just be because of what it did I mean like like I all I can refer is to the post that I did it and you know, Scott burr is mm-hmm. a black belt under Steve Maxwell yeah And Scott is helping me write this book. Mm. And we've just kind of, you know, changed the title of the book. It was something else. And now it's tentatively, you know, how jujitsu saved my life. Mm. Because it it did. Mm. I mean, I was really, I was using drugs. I wasn't happy. I wanted to quit, but I was still kind of stuck in this loop. And because of how it saved me and what it did for to take somebody who had no confidence, to give me—I mean, I'm not saying I'm the most confident guy in the world because as we get eight, as we get older, you know, it's like things always change because of, especially in the physical stature. I'm a smaller, thin guy who's in his late sixties, but without jujitsu the confidence that it's given me and what it's done for me and the ability to share this with others, mm. I can't stop. Mm. This whole thing with this virus right now, yeah. it's hurts me so much because I can't give away what I have inside of me.
0: Yeah,
1: it's so interesting, right? Like this break that we're having to take. Um, you know, People ask me like, oh, I see all the posts on social media and stuff like, I really wanna get rolling and so forth. And I'm like, I don't really miss the rolling aspect of jujitsu because I know I'm going to be able to do that in a couple of weeks or months or whatever it is. Right. But it, there's the camaraderie that I'm missing. There's the connections with people that I'm missing. There's the ability to share information um, with people and see their reaction when they feel their, their body go through that move and like, Oh, I can actually do that. Like I, I, I feel in that power. I feel that frame and so forth. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm missing from it as well is like that ability to share. Right. Yeah. yeah, when um, you go ahead, I was just gonna say, you know, like it's it's just it's so impactful that way. It's just seeing like the like we felt it and we've gone through, and you know, like I was in a similar situation to you where I was uh 400 pounds when I started doing jujitsu. Whoa, um, yeah, so you know, like I was I was quite a, a large, you know, 170 kilos for for like the Australians that listen, um, but uh, you know, like <laughs> so I was quite large when I when I started and. Um, I'd been doing karate for you know almost 10 years at that point. Um, and and going through and had been awarded my black in and everything and and that. But you know, it's just almost like uh the change that happened to me after starting jujitsu, like the, the way that I ate, the way that I trained, the way that I viewed myself, um was completely a huge change for me as well. Um, you know, jujitsu did, you know, I always say to, to, the people that I meet, Jitsu saved my life because I'd be a very unhealthy 30 year old right now. If I hadn't of got into it, um, and it's that, that internal feeling that you feel that that's so uh, impactful that when you share that to somebody else and you see them start to have that same feeling in their body, um, and you know, their mentality changes towards themselves and what they're doing, it is so rewarding to see. For yourself, you know, like, why Why do you still keep with it? Like, what's your motivator to keep going now that you've gone through that change?
2: If, if, if I didn't, I mean, th- there's still a lot left in me. I, I want to show other people because mm. to me, it's so rewarding. First of all, when people come to class and they want, what you have to give. Mm. It's like what like Horian told me this a long time ago. He says, this is such a great thing because people want they want to come see me. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, you had. And they say, here, here's my money. Show me some moves. You know, it's it's such a nice thing that what they're willing to do. And you enjoy giving something to them in mm. exchange. So you're making a living as well as giving something that is so important and and I was just about to say before is that when you, and one of the things that people, that I love hearing from students, when I show them a movement a class and then they roll
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then they come up to me afterwards and they go, wow, what you showed me really works. Yeah. And I always say like, oh, Really, I thought I was teaching you the crap that doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be teaching this to you if it didn't work. Yeah. So just that they can, you know, I've had other students that have been with me who'd done other stand-up arts, and he said, Richard, he said it was okay. I had a certain amount of confidence, but he said, I know when we came up into fight class, if there was a guy bigger than me, mm. he said. I didn't have anything that was a neutralizer because they were so much bigger. Yeah. He says in jujitsu, and he said, I did stand-up arts for a year or two. And I says I never felt confident when the guy was that much bigger. He yeah. says, now in jujitsu, he said, it's totally different. I mean, this guy is 5'8", um, 160 pounds. He'll go with guys twice his weight. He says, yeah. it doesn't matter. He says, I know how to defend myself, how to neutralize. And possibly catch the guy. Yeah. So, doing that, being able to do that, and then I tell my students, I said, I've rolled with guys 100 pounds more than me. Yeah. You know, and I said, just that I can survive, Mm. especially, I haven't done that for probably roll with guys that are that big for, you know, well, I just recently did like a, a little thing, side control stuff, but not really like doing any kind of rolling. For maybe 10 years because you know I'm 68 now so I maybe I did it when I was in my mid-50s but just that I can keep the guy at bay yeah when you're in your late 50s with a guy who has a hundred pounds on you and they can't catch you that to me that's victory man yeah. that that's to me it's like yes <laughs> you know
1: so we- yeah, we talk about like this idea of Jiu for life, you know, like try and my thing I always tell the students is like, I want to roll till I'm 100, like I'm going to have my 100th birthday and we're going to all roll together and it's going to be fun like that. And you have to have that mentality of, like how to protect yourself while you're going through that process. And, you know, having that, uh, that measuring device of so, like survival is actually the victory is something that I find people find so foreign because every sport that they engage in, you have to win and winning is by beating over the other person. Um, and ours isn't that, ours is survive. Like you just don't let them win, delay their victory is a victory in itself. Um, and it's a different kind of concept to put in. Um, and so it's cool to hear you say that, that like, like, you're, like uh, this later stage in your jujitsu, that idea of survival is still the measuring device of success and, and what you're looking for in, in knowing you have that skill. And that's what keeps your confidence in the art going. Yeah. Um, what would be like your one piece of advice that you'd that you'd kind of or that you found was something that helped you uh, with your jiu-jitsu journey? Like there's all these like key phrases that we kind of get given. What was the one that was given to you?
2: Um there's no key phrase that 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 uh is inside that, you know, but the thing that really kind of it kind of helped start to change the way that I started teaching is I got a call from, uh, hit on Gracie, gosh, it was about 10 years ago. Mm. And he said, why don't you come by for a free class? Why don't you come by and roll with me? And I'm like, and I'm, you know, to get a private with hit on, it's, it's not cheap. No, And I went, I went, dude, he says, I, I can't afford that. And he goes, "Ah, don't worry about the money. Just, just come in. Yeah. And, you know, and he said, he said, bring me some
1: avocados.
2: (laughs) I'm like, okay. So I went and I had a class with him and I recorded the class and, uh, and he showed me some things about the triangle. Mm. And when I was shown the triangle years ago, it was, you know, the guys that defend the triangle usually, you know, now there's so many different ways to defend, but they stack you up. And I could stay in that position of being stacked up on my back, on my neck, you know, going from the triangle to the arm lock. I was pretty flexible and I can stay in there. So I kind of, that, that was part of my game and my guard, you know, I was pretty decent the triangle arm lock combination. But he showed me the thing about doing it 100% which I didn't understand the lingo at that time, but he showed me as far as like how to prevent the punch, how to slide your hip away, how to keep the neck, Mm. grab the leg, you know, that whole concept, which meant that you're not going to get stacked up anymore. Yeah, And it taught me how to do the triangle more efficiently and how, and it helped me because I was starting to show this to other guys. And it helped them hit the triangle more because the goal wasn't just to get the triangle. The goal was to set the move up so the triangle would be a higher percentage move, Mm. hard to defend. So, And that changed the way that I taught because if you want to do this for a long time, you can't stay in those positions without having... I mean, I had, I had neck issues that took me ten years to really rehab. Yeah. So I changed the way that I was originally taught, and I say, "Look, guys, you can do this, but if you want to last, yeah, you're you're best off not to do it like that." Mm. So, you know, as I age, I my teaching has changed because. There's no easy. You cannot rehab your neck or your back by doing strength exercises. It doesn't happen, because if you have a, if you have a problem with your back, that that people recognize now as they say, oh, it's your disc. Yeah. Well, remember the discs are inside the spine, and the vertebrae is attached to the disc. The tendon is attached to the vertebrae, and what's attached to the to the tendon, the muscle is part of the tendon. So those muscles are constantly pulling and stressing. So if you're doing that, that's what's putting the stress on the spine, mm-hmm. neck, back, whatever. So if you create those kind of demands on your body, you're gonna screw it up and then you're gonna need surgery, yeah. which I tell people avoid surgery at all costs. you don't want to be cut yeah so learn how to train smarter
1: Mm.
2: when you're younger and don't rely on your power rely on the technique and you have to learn when to give up the move so you don't injure yourself yeah so that's a long-winded answer for a for a a short question but you can't just put it in one little phrase train smart because they don't know what that means
1: yeah yeah rich i just want to thank you so much for your time this morning um it it was great to be able to talk to you and get your perspective on things so i just want to say thank you so much um i'll let you go go now i I asked for half an hour and you've given me 45 minutes so i just i want to thank you for being so generous with your time
2: my pleasure anytime you know to me i think that you know as many people that can find out about the history and Mm doing things for the longevity. I think it's it's important and I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule and and at the crack of dawn. <laughs> I mean for right now it's the crack of dawn for me it's a little afternoon. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really excited to hear that you you're, you're uh, continuing with the book that you had started that I heard that you had started and you were asking for titles last year for it. So it's so cool to hear that that's still being worked on and something that we're going to get soon.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I just um, and I probably sent it to you already. I have a, a fan page yeah. for for myself, and there's going to be little updates on on uh, the book and the progress and little blurbs about it. Because Scott, like I said, is helping me, and he's he's written some books before. So yeah, so we're really starting to get this thing, and hopefully, I'll start to have I'll have the book ready in the fall, and I'll be doing some you Know little seminars and book signings, and so uh, you yeah, it's know. very exciting! Thank you for, for bringing yeah, that I up. I can't
1: wait for it, and um, I'll make sure we share that fan page as well so that people can get onto it so they can see it all kind of progressing along the way. Um, but thank you again,
2: my pleasure. Oh, I just wanted to do a little advertising. This is about <laughs> jiu jitsu, guys. I, I,
1: I thought we were <laughs> so close, so close in matching teas, <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, So that was Richard Bressler, someone who should be so fortunate, took the time to enjoy and invest in what Gracie Jiu Jitsu has to offer. And because of that enjoyment that he did, it turned into so many amazing opportunities for jiu-jitsu. So just want to say thank you to Richard, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode.